What's up, everybody? I'm Brandon Jenkins, and you are listening to Mogul. If you're a fan of Mogul, chances are you like hip-hop. I want to tell you about another hip-hop podcast that I think you might like. It's called Dissect. Here's the concept of the show. Dissect selects a single album per season and forensically examines the lyrics, music, and meaning behind one song per episode. The most recent season of the show is focused on Kendrick Lamar's Damn. I'm a huge Kendrick fan, and that's definitely one of my favorite albums, so I was hyped when the show dropped, and I'm equally as hyped to be sitting here with the guy who brings Dissect to life, the show's host, Cole Kushner. What's up, man? What's up, man? I'm glad to be here. Likewise, man. It's really dope to get a chance to meet you in person. I feel like I've been bothering you uh, via Instagram and Twitter DMs for like maybe like two or three yeah, years now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm super impressed by your work. I guess before we even get into this season and the album, Damn, what makes you do this? Like, what what's the thing that says, hey, I'm going to make a podcast forensically examining contemporary music? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a long story and it's kind of the culmination of, you know, everything I've done creatively. And, and you know, I've been a musician my whole life. Um, and I went to school, to college, to study composition. And when you study composition in college, it's like European-dominated classical music. You know, I'm studying Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, all the kind of, you know, the, the big names that everyone throws around. And I really love classical music. I fell in love with that world while I was in college. And I learned a lot of analytical skills um, in that process. But I've been a fan of contemporary music my whole life, equally as much as, if not more, than classical music. And I feel like hip-hop specifically doesn't really get that kind of analysis that other music has traditionally got. And so when I got out of college and I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, uh, I was like, well, what if I you know, apply those same skills that I used to apply to Beethoven's Fifth Symphony and research, you know, the time and place that was composed, what it meant to the culture at that time. What if I did that in real time with the music that's, I feel like, is the most impactful going on right now today? And that's really where the concept of Dissect came from, was applying those analytical skills to contemporary hip-hop and publishing it as a podcast. I mean, that was, you know, it, it was a, a passion project. I didn't really do it other than something I just wanted to do for fun and you know, I'm still kind of amazed that I get to do it now for a living. And your first season was To Pimp a Butterfly, and then your second season was Kanye West, Might Be for Our Twisted Fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then, if I'm not mistaken, you went and did Frank Ocean's Blonde. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of had a little kind of side project with Lauren Hill. Sure. Um, and then you did Tyler's Flower Boy. Mm-hmm. And now here we are again at another Kendrick album. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I learned a lot through these four or five seasons uh, and I really feel like I kind of honed the process way more than I did with season one when I was just starting out just kind of figuring things figuring the show format how I want to structure it Um, and so you know part of me returning to Kendrick is kind of kind of vindiction or something like uh, for me to like get it right I've just you know there's it was a learning experience season one and part of me just felt like I left a lot on the table but also to pimp a butterfly and we talk about this in the season Dam is a direct continuation of To Pimp a Butterfly. And when Dam dropped, I was, part of me just, I have to tell this story, that the story is now incomplete. And so, you know, Dam dropped, I think when I was working on season two, actually. And I, I knew I wanted to do it from the day it came out, but I didn't want to return to an artist, you know, too early. And really, um, I returned to it now because I really wanted to get it out before the 2020 election because I think what he's talking about uh, really kind of 
um, applies to this kind of polarized climate that we're living in. And like, I feel like he's offering kind of a solution um, to kind of help with that. I guess when you have an artist that you've done two seasons on and you can start to revisit them, one, it's later in his life, but also, like you said, there's other social and cultural implications around it. How has Kendrick changed? Because, I mean, clearly your show's changed between the two seasons, but how has Kendrick changed just from a um, from the standpoint of what you do? Yeah, I don't know if he, you know, it's funny because the thematically I feel like he's been saying the same thing um, since really Section 80 or actually since the Kendrick Lamar EP. We, you know, in this season, we start with the Kendrick Lamar EP um, and analyze his song Faith. And we kind of show how Faith, that song Faith, lays the groundwork for his kind of spiritual belief system that continues to evolve, but I feel like is rooted very much in that song. Um, and I think for him, it's just a maturation of how he expresses these ideas. I think Dam was this really interesting mix of commercial appeal and thematic insight and, and depth and complexity, you know, every equal to, to Pimp a Butterfly, where I feel like people listen to Pimp a Butterfly and it sounds deep. It is deep, It's but it's very more obviously, you have that poem that reoccurs, you know, it's he has a, the conversation with Tupac and it's just very much more obvious that this is like this this kind of narrative. But Damn was really clever in that it's individual songs, there's no skits, and it works on this very nice commercial level of just like you can listen to it over and over and over again. But for those willing and desiring to go deeper, it's, you know, the themes and the concepts and the complexity is all there. And, you know, I was really wanting to dig into that because, you know, I have a basic understanding of what the artist is saying before I dissect them, but I don't really know the level until I really start digging in. And with Kendrick, especially, when you start to dig in, it does not stop giving. And this season, I feel like, probably more than any other season, uh, that was very true. It, because it sounds so commercial, and not in a bad way, but just kind of very easily digestible, man, when you really start to dig in, there's lots of layers there. Um, and you know, I've been really having a blast unpacking him. I think when you listen to your season, sometimes, you, it, one, it's so detailed. And like you said, there's a level of depth sometimes where you can pull apart a lyric or even a sound in the song and you look up and you've been kind of digging into that for like three or four minutes and you're like, whoa, is the artist intending to do all this? What does digging in look like? What is that process like? Does it start with just playing the album on repeat? Is it printing the lyrics out and looking at them? What does that look like? Yeah, I would say most of the seasons it's... Um there's a lot of initial, I would say, research that is done before I even write a word. The show is entirely scripted, so most of my time goes into writing those scripts. But before I write a word, it's two, three weeks of just full immersion into the artist, his life, his or her life, the discography that led up to that record. You know, I really just try to, to become an expert on that artist as much as I can. You know, I pick artists that I can't really interview so I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm relying on what's out there and what exists on the internet. But there's that immersion process, and I really try to get my head around the basic concepts of the album. But you know, once I get to that first track, that first episode, it's really just pretty straightforward. I sit down with the lyrics, I take one line, I copy paste it into a document, and then I just like think about it, write about it, and next line, think about it, write about it. And then there's like revisions that happen. If I start to see patterns or certain things, you know, I'll go back and make edits, but it's pretty black and white in terms of just like 
sitting down and just thinking, you know, and, and really trying to take myself out of it as much as possible and like really open myself up to like, what is this artist trying to communicate? What is this person saying? And my job, I feel like, is to to figure that out and then responsibly put it in the show in a way that people can easily digest. I think about it with all your subjects, maybe like minus one, but um, Kendrick specifically, you're dealing with artists that are largely like mysterious. You know, they have a mystique about them. They're reclusive. They, they, they tend to stay behind the scenes. So I imagine you're mostly digging into the music, but, you know, gathering what you can of print interviews from videos, maybe even like BTS of like, you know, their appearance in another person's piece of work. But I also imagine that lends itself to a ton of surprises, right? Like that's what we enjoy is hearing this new information. What's the most surprising thing you learned about the album, Dam? I would say, yeah, the most surprising thing I learned about Dam is there's a character, Kung Fu Kenny. You know, when I first heard the album, you know, it's, it's shouted out a few times, Kung Fu Kenny. And I just thought it was kind of a clever, kind of cute nickname or something, you know? But when you really start to dig in, you realize that Kung Fu Kenny is this alternative character that he's kind of vicariously living through. And Kung Fu has this kind of uh, hostile or defensive kind of connotation to it, this person that is ready to go to war, ready to battle. And that's really what the album is about. It's about Kendrick versus Kung Fu Kenny and him really analyzing his emotions, analyzing his DNA, his circumstances, why he's feeling the way that he's feeling now and challenging himself, challenging the way that he feels about certain topics or certain triggers that he might have, and really trying to get to the root of those things in order to disperse them, to become better controlled, and really ultimately be a better vessel for God. That's kind of where the album lands is him getting filled with God's spirit and him having to do the work to allow that to fill him and kind of dispersing with with all else. And so, just even that little nugget of him building that character was a, a really surprising thing. I just didn't know anything. I, di- I didn't have any clue it was anything more than a cute nickname. And it actually, in the song Yah, he claims himself to be an Israelite. And when you look up the meaning behind what an Israelite means, it means one who wrestles with God. So there's this connection between the Kung Fu character ready to kind of fight, and then this idea of being an Israelite and being ready to wrestle with God, which is essentially what he's doing throughout the entire album. It's funny because like, as a fan, someone that's listening to the music on repeat, you think you get it, right? Or at least you think you're in a direction. Kung Fu Kenny to me was Don Cheadle in Rush Hour 2, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. like you you kind of miss these things and to see that an artist brings so much depth to two words, you know, like you said, a, a cheeky nickname and that it has implications in the immediate, but also like the tally of his life, mm-hmm. I think is um, wildly impressive. But also, like, for me, it's um, it makes me curious of what type of creative space do you think Kendrick was in to create this album? Or, or maybe that you'd imagine after collecting all the data. Yeah, it just seemed like some, I mean, so, you know, in his own words, you know, to Pippa Butterfly looked outward for solution. And I think he said something like looking into certain institutions and how we might change things culturally as a society. And this album was all about he said, I can't change the world until I change myself. And so I feel like he was really trying to scrutinize himself as much as he might scrutinize society or circumstances that were, you know, he was born into, which is like Good Kid Mad City and To Pimp a Butterfly really dive into those kind of circumstantial and environmental elements. So Dam was all about him 
really just looking inward and trying to get a grip and a hold of his own emotions and finding the roots of what he's feeling and how to overcome and transcend the darker aspects of his character. You know, in the song XXX, he's very explicit about his feelings of revenge and violence when one of his friend's son is killed. And, you know, I think I'm pretty sure he's studying the Bible or I'm almost positive he's really studying the Bible. And I know he's very influenced by Jesus and his teachings. And it seems like Dam is a lot about him grappling with those really radical ideas of forgiveness and love and how it's one thing to say, love your enemies, but to do the work to actually get to that place, like it's a lot of work. And especially for, you know, if you know his background growing up in Compton and the conflict between gangs and, you know, everything that I was born into to then to try to scrutinize yourself to get to that place of that radical standard that Jesus uh, set, it requires work. And I feel like damn is him working through those things. And I think there's a, to have such heavy information and like heavy lifestyle all in the music. I liked in the beginning, we were talking about this commercial touch that he's put onto it, right? Sort of like medicine that tastes like candy. Mm. And I think about um, your new dynamic on this season where you brought in a writer this season to sort of like help you dive into the medicine because I think you do the candy so well. You get into music theory and, and lyrics so well, but Kendrick's going somewhere different. He's bringing such heavy religious tones into this. Yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up religious and I knew, you know, it's pretty obvious that a lot of the, the things that he's talking about in Dam are rooted in the Bible specifically. And, you know, I knew if I were going to do this season justice, I would need help with that aspect. And I was lucky enough to find Femio Lutade, who is the co-writer of the season. It's the first time I've worked in this capacity with someone. And I feel like it really added a lot to the season. He's a, I'd call him a, a theological expert. You know, he knows the Bible, like no one I've ever talked to. He can, you know, recite passages and he has a really good understanding of like the actual narrative structure of the Bible, which I don't, I've never really heard anyone talk about just even like how the stories are told and how certain stories told in Genesis come back in, you know, certain later books and how there was really a lot of thought put into the structure. And he's been drawing connections that I would never pick up on specifically with the religious aspects. And it's been a really cool experience for me because I'm actually learning a lot. You know, before it was like, I still, I always learn, but to have that perspective and to get some of that history and that knowledge from him has been, I mean, irreplaceable this season. And um, yeah, it's been really exciting and really productive working with him. Uh, one thing I've been curious about, just seeing how deep you go into some of these songs and also moments that you decide that, you know what, this lyric is just this lyric and we're going to kind of move past it or that economy of how you decide to apply depth or just entertainment. It makes me think of how do you know the limits of creative license, right? Like how far you should go or how far you should dig into something or even the freedom to interpret something. Yeah, that's something I think about pretty much every episode. The show would never work if it just felt like I was reaching all the time and just putting, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, just, I don't like when people do that. So I feel like the research that I put into it, one, helps me at least get some idea of where the artist was at that time and what was that person trying to convey, you know, whether that be through interviews and just doing the research on the artist. But I would say I definitely think about that all the time. And when I'm not sure about something, I usually try to be pretty straightforward about it. I'll say, we use the word seems a lot. We'll say, it seems like he's talking about this. And maybe we might cite a previous lyric or a previous interview quote 
to kind of back up that claim. But it's something that I'm still thinking about. I hope that it is clear on the show that this is an interpretation. This is not the end-all be-all of this record or this song or this lyric even. It's well-researched, well-thought-out interpretation, but it's still interpretation. So I hope that's clear. And that's I, try, I just try to be as responsible as possible. Yeah, like I feel like there's times where you go in depth about certain things, right? Like you might go in depth about a specific lyric or topic, but there's also uh, moments uh, that you sort of, not gloss over, but moments that you can you can cruise through mm. because you you know that the audience is kind of there with you. Sure. How do you know? Yeah, I mean, you always want to respect the audience's intelligence level, you know? And yeah. if something says, this is blue, I'm not going to go into <laughs> like a 10-minute conversation about why it's blue. So if a line is obvious enough where I can assume that most listeners get it, I'll gloss over it. Mostly for like practical reasons too. It's like, I know that it's a stretch to ask people to listen to 30 to 40 minutes of this kind of analysis anyway. Mm. So if I'm trying to structure a show that is digestible, as I say on the show, I can't go too far. You know, I want to respect the listener's time. I want to make sure that I'm giving them a service. And so, yeah, th there's places where I'll gloss over and it's mostly practical. And it's just an, an assumption that the listener's smart enough to get this particular line. And a lot of what I try to do on the show anyways is like construct the larger narrative because I feel like people might get lyric to lyric and they might get even song to song, but to really see on an album like Damn or even Flower Boy or you know every album that I've chosen pretty much has a narrative. And a lot of people don't listen to music in that way. It's like they'll listen to one song and then the next song is kind of clean slate and I'm going to listen to this song. And they're not really listening for that overarching theme or that overarching narrative that the artist is trying to communicate. So that, I feel like, more than the line-by-line -line analysis is my job, I feel like, is to convey and present that structure and that narrative in a way that is easily understandable to, like, a common listener or even, I mean... To be honest, like my audience when I'm writing is like my mom who doesn't listen to hip hop at all or, you know what I mean? I want someone like her to be able to understand what Kendrick Lamar is talking about. But if she heard that on the surface, she's not going to listen to it. She's not going to take the time to understand it. But if I can kind of wrap it up and package it in this digestible way, these stories are important. And I feel like they need to be told not just to fans of hip hop or music, but just to general masses. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the show. Yeah, I think you definitely have a smart audience base and I'm probably complimenting myself because I'm in the audience, <laughs> but also like, and also an audience base that, that wants to be educated, wants mm -hmm. to be smart. But I guess I'm wondering then, what do a lot of members of the audience get wrong about this album? What don't they know? Is it misconceptions or just absence of knowledge about Dam? Dam's reputation's funny and I didn't really understand or I didn't really realize that it kind of has this negative reputation in some circles in hip hop where people look at To Pimp a Butterfly as a gold standard. And then I feel like people felt like he was selling out a little bit on Damn and it wasn't as nuanced and it wasn't as deep as To Pimp a Butterfly. And when I kind of dug into that more, it just made me want to do the season even more because in my opinion, that is definitely not the case. And again, it's like my show's job is to communicate exactly to that person. Here's everything he's talking about. And here's the evidence for it. So, yeah, it's funny. I mean, everyone brings their own kind of shit to the table when they come to music or digesting art or movies or, I mean, anything. It's like 
made me think of like Chance the Rapper and just, you know, when his album came out, it kind of got trashed. I would say unfairly, you know, whether you like it or not, but, you know, people brought their own shit, their own baggage to that. And, you know, they don't want positive rap. They don't want, uh, you know, they're looking for a certain aesthetic. And if you're not doing that preferred aesthetic, they trash it. And I'm more of the opinion of leave yourself out of it as much as possible. If you're going to do the analysis part, it's like, if you want to just put on songs to feel something or whatever, that's fine. But to go out of your way to kind of criticize an artist, to me, you better like know exactly what you're talking about. And you'd better be justified in that opinion. Because, you know, I feel like a lot of people just don't know the work it takes to produce something, uh, music, podcast, video. And I feel like we're in this world where it's really easy to to have a quick opinion on Twitter and just like trash people or whatever without really considering like the person's emotions or what they're trying to communicate. And one of my mottos of the show is like, great art deserves more than a swipe, you know? And like, here's here's one album. We're going to spend 13 hours, 14 hours discussing this one album and opening ourselves up to someone else's experience and someone else's expression to see what we can learn. You know, that's really what I try to do with every every season going back to season one it's like to bimp a butterfly captured me in a way that not a lot of albums capture me but just listening to it on its surface i knew i wasn't understanding what he was saying and i knew it was going to take some real some real work to figure that out and so i was like well what if i just tried and you know and then that, to me, it's like being like white, raised in the suburbs. It's like it, it definitely brings out an insecurity of like, well, what do I know about this subject? You know, who am I to, go to, to, to talk about this? But then, at least in my own head, how I justified it was like, well, why wouldn't I do the research? Why wouldn't I spend the time to learn about someone's experience that I clearly don't have an understanding? And what better way to do it through music, which I've loved my entire life and have been devoted to music in one way or another throughout my entire life. So that's what I would say to that. And it's funny what you can learn when you just leave your your shit out of it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like taking that mindset and kind of expound on it in and, and everyday interactions and just meet people where they're at and giving them the benefit of the doubt and have empathy to everyone's experience. Season one changed my life. And I say that very seriously yeah it's dope that you approach a season with sort of a glass empty kind of thing and then let the music and the information and the research fill that and clearly there's some true personal takeaways that you're gaining from researching these projects but i guess i'm wondering um just as a listener how has this season specifically changed the way that you're like just listening to music in general or is it like all the seasons kind of have you digging deep yeah, I don't know if it's changed the way that I listen to music. I've learned to listen with an analytical ear and a, I call it a physical ear, where I just want to like put on some shit to feel good or whatever. So I don't know if Damn has changed my listening so much, but it's definitely changed my perspective on, I would say, religion for sure. You know, I wasn't raised religious. I wouldn't even say religion. I shouldn't say that. I should say spirituality or faith or mm, God mm, or you yeah. know you know that aspect. I would say yeah, I wasn't raised religious and. I would say, if I'm being honest, I was a little bit cynical about religion. But this season really forced me, working with Femi specifically, doing the process of opening myself up to an idea that I was once maybe cynical about and really putting, like, you know, true to my own word, like putting that aside as much as possible, opening myself up and seeing what happens. And it's really transformed my 
opinion and thoughts on on God, on what you know, what spirituality can mean to people. And it's definitely, yeah, it's just been eye-opening in that way. And I feel like I'm a, a better and more open person having done that. Yeah. I guess just on some light shit, uh, favorite song of the album and why? Man, that's a good question. It changes a lot, I would say. Um, okay, my, mine, when I knew it, I, no, mine changed twice, but... Should we okay. say it at the same time? Yeah. All right, one, two, three. Fear. Lust. Wow. Uh, okay. okay. Fear, is, fear is the one it goes back and forth through, though. Yeah. Mine is between fear and DNA. Okay. Um, DNA, I didn't realize it. I kind of like braggadocious sort of like toxic energy, you know, <laughs> like give, just yeah. give me that like some mix of like yeah. Hove and Future and Drake and Kendrick all in one. And fear is just like, it's the opposite of that. Mm. It's extremely personal. And sort of his development makes me feel very connected because I think I had... S- versions of those fears at mm. those points in time okay. in my life yeah. yeah and for you lust yeah lust i would say probably i mean i i love i've just never heard a song like it it's like super dark which you know there's those reverse drums that come in and then it's just always changing like you never you never feel settled i think i would say from a production standpoint that is definitely my favorite on the album but if i'm going thematically i think definitely fear would be right there with you in terms of just it's so honest man it's like i get tears in my eyes literally every time i listen to that song because i can just feel him i can feel those fears like it you just feel almost like this physical feeling that i get when i listen to that song and then when especially when you know what fear means to the narrative and how it kind of like locks everything in place it's a virtuosic song a, a composition really and then, yeah, and then it goes into God and then Duckworth. And Duckworth is like, <laughs> what are you going to do with that song? It's like... Just a ugh. great rap move, you yeah, know? Like yeah. a great rap move. Like to just have that, one, the storytelling, to be able to stitch that together, yeah. to make it entertaining, to make the lyrics flow, for it to be fun, but also like that to be your real life mm, is yeah. absolutely insane. And to sit on that, right? Like he's been around for, in popularity, I mean, a decade essentially. Yeah. Then it... I love the doors it opens because it makes you think, what else do you got? You know? Yeah. 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 No, it's um, top to bottom. I think there's not really, to me, a weak song on the album, especially when you get into the thematic stuff and really appreciate the just the, man, the thought that goes into not only the you know, line by line lyrics, but just the way that he's able to construct these long form narratives and how certain lines call back to other songs and how that voicemail and, and fear is referenced in Yah, which then resolves at the end of, like, it's just like, and then like the whole playing their album front to back versus back to front. It's just like, it's hard enough just to write a great song. Like how are you then also stacking on top of that, this extra layer of complication of this long form narrative that then works front to back, back to front and reverse. I always say like hip hop to me, and one of the real reasons why I'm attracted to hip hop specifically is like, I think it's like the modern day opera. You know, Mm. in opera, there is recitative, which is like characters don't sing. They kind of just speak, sing. And that's where the dialogue happens between characters. And then they'll have like these, you know, arias where they actually do some singing. But the amount of words in in an opera allows you to tell this long form story. Hip hop has the most words of any genre ever, probably, right? It's like you listen to three verses. I don't know what the word count would be, but it's like six pop songs you know pop songs have four maybe four lines in verse one four lines in verse two and a yeah 
and I think Kendrick is the pinnacle of hip hop storytelling in that he is using his words not only on an individual song level, but to construct these super complex narratives that I think are akin to opera if you're really sitting down and listening to the story that he's telling. Every album he does it, Good Kid Mad City to Pimp a Butterfly, and damn, he's telling super intricate, complex narratives in the same way a movie functions or an opera functions. And that's why I'm attracted to hip hop, but also Kendrick specifically, because I think he's taken the genre to, I would say, a pinnacle-like level. I don't want to cap it, but man, what he's doing within the genre and using the constraints, it's, it's amazing to me. It surely raised the bar and definitely um, raised your workload, I imagine, yeah. just for <laughs> yeah. this album specifically. Yeah. Um, but also probably raised the challenges and the fun that come with it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm definitely getting ahead of myself, but I'm also the one where I listen to a season and then I start thinking about the next season. Have you already thought about next season, like when you're going to do it and sort of what you want to do it on? I'm imagining the last part's secret, but yeah. Yeah, yeah we've already started production on season six. It's settled. Um, it's definitely top secret, but it'll come out I think in the like April of next year it'll come out, um, and we're working on some other shows too that might be like spinoff shows of Dissect. So yeah, I got a lot of things in the, in the works, and um, yeah, excited to just kind of build the brand and expand the team a little bit now that I have some more resources at Spotify. And you know, as long as it's it's working, I'm just going to ride it as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, I'm actually curious. What's the most requested album you get that hasn't been done? Yeah, I would say Childish Gambino because the internet. Wow. Yeah. Really? There's, there's a passionate fan base for that record. Yeah. Okay. I'd say he's up there. Mac Miller's up there swimming. I get a lot of requests for that. And like Beyonce comes up, Lemonade, Solange, and uh, SZA too, actually. Control. Wow. Yeah. But I'd say because the internet is by far the most requested. I wouldn't have thought that. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do you like that record? I do, I do. I was thinking, I was like, man, what would I pitch Cole on? Yeah, pitch like, me one. Man, honestly, like, there's worlds where I think about future, not even, like, the just the way he's... For him, it's like, I don't know what this would be in classical terms. Um, sometimes it's not what he's saying, it's how he's saying it, mm-hmm. and it's so untraditional, but, like, he meets you at a point where he sort of knows that you know, and mm-hmm. I always think of that, like, Andre 3000, it raps at eye level. Mm-hmm. The reason we like him so much is that he raps... 70% understanding that we understand the other 30%. And so that's why I have this personal connection. Mm. And I do think Future does that. Clearly he's not Andre, but I think that. And yeah. also I think because I like I like when you break down the music, I like when you break down the lyrics, but I like when you also bring in um, either history or current events. And I was like, man, who could do that better than Drake? Because he's mm. he's he's a moving planet on his own. Yeah, And I feel like you could pick anything from him. You yeah. know, that would be interesting to see. And the amount of... Uh, references he uses in his music the amount of samples yeah yeah but i don't know if there's ever a drake season call my line let me know all right yeah Yeah, i've never really thought about drake too seriously actually um he's interesting to me i like his music it's just um i need to i need to figure out a format that works for non-narrative track you know non-narrative because i feel like that's i've kind of gotten shoehorned into doing narrative out because that's how I structured the show was structured after to pimp a butterfly. So I need to find a format that breaks away from that maybe and does more, you know, I'd love to live, look at like Drake from a historical standpoint, maybe not of a song by song, but like 
how is he the accumulation of Kanye and all, all these different, you know what I mean? And takes that sound that was kind of brewing and just really explodes it. Um, you know, he's, yeah, he, I mean, he's definitely interesting, but yeah, I, I like that future. Maybe I should do, what's the collab album future and uh, future and Drake with yeah. time to be alive. Yeah, I yeah. love it, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's problematic, but enjoyable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cole, man, thank you, man. This is, this has been fun. Yeah. Thank you, man. Uh, but before I let you go, can you tell everyone the best way to listen to Dissect? Yeah, definitely check out Dissect on Spotify. It's on all platforms, but on Spotify, you get episodes a week early, and there's some bonus episodes that you can only get on Spotify. So check it out. Nice. Okay, that's it for this special episode with Cole Kushner from the Dissect Podcast. Now, before I let you go, we got a quick reminder. If you're not already following Mogul on Spotify, make sure you do. That way you'll get an alert anytime we drop new content and you can be among the first to listen. All you have to do is tap the button that says follow. You'll find it near the top of the show page, right beneath the show art. Mogul is a production of Spotify and Gimlet Media. This episode was produced by Wallace Back and Saeed Tijan Thomas with help from Chuma Osei. Our senior producer is Matthew Nelson. Our editors are Lynn Levy, Caitlin Kenny, and Chris Morrow. This episode was scored by Haley Shaw. 